Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you guys are here. I don't know about you, but man, that song got me. Uh, that, uh, the kid who wrote that, his name is Brandon Lake, and uh, he's a kid that I mentored for 15 years. So just like being able to sing his songs here and just knowing like what God's doing in this church and some of the miracles that God's doing, man, I'm just... Uh, I'm excited for today and what he has uh, for us, what he's ha- have planned for us. Today actually is our eight-year anniversary as a church. Yeah. Man, I still remember conversations that we had with people. People were like, hey, you're moving where? And we told them, they're like, yeah, you probably won't last two years. Uh, and we're eight years in. I don't know if we'll last until nine, but right now we're at eight. And so I celebrate that. I celebrate all God's been doing and the miracles we have seen. We have seen people get healed of cancer. We have seen families restored. We've seen prodigals return. We've seen all of that that we just proclaimed. And man, I'm just grateful for you and how you invest in this church, how you serve. Some of you have been a part since day one. Some of you, this is your first day being here. And man, I'm just grateful what God is doing in this place. And, uh, and, and my hope is that this will become a home for you a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Uh, And today we're continuing a series called Losing My Religion that we started last week, uh, and we're wrestling with this idea of deconstruction. Now, deconstruction has a lot of definitions, and you can deconstruct pretty much every area of your life, but we're looking at it as it pertains to faith. And I just want to say, man, I don't think I've ever had uh, this much of a response from a message uh, from last Sunday to to now. Uh, The number of emails and messages that I've received from so many of you and it just made me proud of our church uh, because so many people were sending me emails and messages saying man I feel like this is the safest place I've ever been to be able to to wrestle with things in my faith to wrestle with my belief system and and what is God trying to do in me and try to get healed from past experiences and all of that and church that's because of you Uh, and so I just I just want to say thank you thank you for allowing this to be a safe place but thank you also for wrestling with hard things uh, and being willing to to wrestle through some of the, the the challenges of faith. Today, we're going to look at a guy whose life changed dramatically. I mean, like, like one moment he's this way and the next moment he's this way. Have you ever seen somebody change dramatically? Maybe it was in their beliefs. Maybe it was in their personality. Maybe it was in their looks. Uh, I, I did a, a couple of Google searches this week of some celebrities. Uh, remember this guy, this is Russell Crowe. Uh, this, was, uh, this was at the height of, uh, of his looks for sure, uh, because this is a picture most recently of Russell Crowe. Not this one, the next one is, there it is. That's Russell Crowe. Now, now I can't speak to beard stuff because I can't grow one, but I, I didn't know that your beard could be a different color than the hair on your head. Like it was just kind of surprising to me when I saw that. So uh, here's another picture of a guy named The Rock. You guys know him. This is his college days, sporting the fanny pack, the gold chain. That's awesome. And now this is a, a little bit clearer picture of The Rock. Yeah, that's kind of what we know him as. But did you know he made another transformation? This is another picture of The Rock right here. <laughs> right here. His name is Maui. Uh, I had a picture of me. Uh, so here's me in sixth grade. Uh, there's, uh, there's a little Ernest. I'm not sure what was going on in my face there. I think it was like leftover chocolate from lunch or something. Uh, and then this is Ernest as a senior. That was me. <laughs> Laugh away. Laugh away. That haircut was cool at the time. It was a very short time, but it was cool at the time. And then here's a picture of me most recently right there. 
So my hairstyles haven't changed a whole lot. Uh, but have you ever noticed somebody who has changed dramatically? The, today, we're going to look at a guy who didn't change a whole lot in his looks, but he changed a whole lot in his beliefs. If you have your Bible, you can um, uh, open up to Acts chapter 9. That's what we're going to be looking at. And this guy we're talking about, um, he changed through this process of deconstruction. Now, the, the, the definition we're giving as it pertains to faith is the, uh, the, the process of critically reevaluating and remodeling your faith, your beliefs, your belief system as it pertains to God and what you believe about God's word and, and faith issues and all of that. It's this critical, this critically evaluating, this process of, of you reevaluating and remodeling what you believe. Every person goes through this. Every person. So for some of us, it's a very short time of going through deconstruction. For others of us, it's a long time. I talked to some guy this week um, that uh, he's in his 60s, and he was like, man, I definitely walked through that. We didn't call it deconstruction because now it's a buzzword. It's, a, and it's, you know, it's, it's cool to call it that, but it wasn't cool to call it that 30 years ago. Uh, so all of us have to walk through this where you're critically reevaluating and remodeling your faith belief. And this guy, he did exactly that. His name is Paul. You might know him as Paul. Um, he's also in the Bible known as Saul. Now his story, this story we're going to look at, it shows up in Acts chapter 9, Acts uh, 22, and Acts 26. So because it's told three different times, it means it's a really, really important story that we should take note of. Now Paul, uh, who's also known as Saul, uh, a lot of people think that God changed his name. That is false. God never changed Saul's name to Paul. A lot of people believe that. Some people teach that. That is not what the Bible teaches. See, Paul had two names. Saul was his Hebrew name or his Jewish name because he was of Jewish descent, but he was also a Roman citizen. So he had a Roman name, which was Paul. So when he's Jewish, he's known as Saul. And then when he converts over to Christianity and he begins his ministry to the Gentiles, to mainly Roman citizens, he goes by Paul. So I might use that name interchangeably. Uh, in this story, he's known as Saul. So that's what we're going to try to look at. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 1. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether women or men, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So stop right there. Now, Paul, he's in high authority. At this point, he's a part of the Sanhedrin, which is a Jewish religious council. So he's one of the highest members, one of the highest religious leaders of the time. And at this point, Paul is a part of persecuting Christians, people called the way. They weren't known as Christians at that point. They were known as people of the way. And he was part of persecuting them. In fact, we see just a couple chapters earlier in Acts, this guy named Stephen. He, Stephen is the first martyr, the first Christian killed for his faith. And when they go to kill him, the people who go to cast stones at him throw their coats down to, to try to get permission to, to, in, uh, to the feet of this guy named Saul. So Saul actually approves of the very first martyr of Christianity. And now he's going, hey, I want to go find more Christians, more people who are part of the way, and I want to arrest them. And many of them will be killed at the same time. So he's on the road to Damascus to find Christians to arrest them for their faith. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
So he's on his horse, he's going to Damascus, he's got this, this crowd of people around him that's going with him because he's of high prestige. And all of a sudden, this bright light shines, and then a voice comes from heaven. At this point, Paul knows that something divine is happening. Like there's something divine that is happening. Now he's a little confused, because what this divine voice says is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, hold on, I mean, there's a bright light, there's a voice from heaven, this must be God, but... I'm not persecuting God. In fact, I'm defending God. Like I'm not doing anything against God. I'm doing everything for God. So I, I'm a little, little confused. So he asks a question, verse five, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, who are you? And he used that phrase, Lord, to say, I know you're something divine. Like I know, like, like I may not be the smartest guy, although he was brilliant. Uh, I, I know something is happening that is divine. So he calls him Lord. So who are you? The rest of verse five, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. It's Jesus. It's the very guy he's persecuting. It's the person that the followers, that he has already killed one, and now he's trying to arrest others that he's persecuting this individual. But I thought Jesus was dead. I didn't think Jesus was God. Now, last week I gave you five major reasons. There's a lot of reasons that you could start the deconstruction process, but I gave five major reasons why people start the deconstruction process. I'll add a six. If you're riding on a horse and a bright light shines, knocks you off, and Jesus starts talking to you, maybe you should start reevaluating and remodeling your faith beliefs. Paul, at this point, everything is crumbling down. Like everything that he thought, everything that he knew, his beliefs, his faith, everything is like, oh, I'm not sure if what I believed is right. There's, there's, a, there's a few major things that he's being challenged with. Number one, he thought he was doing what was right, and yet now God is rebuking his actions. But I thought I was doing this for God. God, I was doing this for you. My faith drove me to do what I'm doing and to be as zealous as I am, and now you're rebuking me. He thought that Jesus was dead and Jesus wasn't God. Now he's hearing that Jesus is not only alive, but Jesus is also God. And he wasn't just persecuting the followers of the way. He's persecuting the way. He's persecuting Jesus. All these things are going through his mind. Things are beginning to change. And now his purpose, which was to be this high Jewish leader and to persecute the Christians at this point, really defend the faith. That was kind of his mentality was I'm defending the faith. His purpose is now switched. So everything in his life has come crashing down. All of his major beliefs about God, all the major things that he's been taught since childhood, his education, everything has come into question. Everything is starting to crumble. What does he do? I mean, how does he reconstruct his faith at this point? I mean, a guy who's lived his whole life for God, thinking that he was doing the right thing the whole time, and now in this one moment is told, you're doing the wrong thing, you're believing the wrong thing, you're acting the wrong way, I need you to change. What does he do? You see, when we really pick up Paul's story, it's three years after this moment. We see Paul, he's going on these great missionary journeys and, and he starts uh, anywhere between 14 and 20 churches in a, a time frame of about 30 years. And then he's killed for his faith. I mean, so we see this guy who like, man, he, he becomes this like major player in Christianity. I mean, he writes a ton of, of what we read in the New Testament. 
So how does he get there? How does he get from like crashing down and everything kind of falling around him to now he's a missionary, he's planting churches, and he ends up dying for his faith in Jesus? What does he do to reconstruct his faith? Well, there's probably a lot of ways to answer that, but I'm going to give you three steps. Three steps to reconstruct. For those of us who are maybe right now in the middle of deconstruction, of, of reevaluating, remodeling our faith, like, man, I, I believe this, or I've been taught this, or I thought that this was right, and I'm starting to question these things, what are your steps to get to a place where you're healthy in your faith, where you're walking through this process in a healthy way, growing closer to Christ, and stronger in your beliefs? Let me give you three steps. Number one, walk in community. You've got to walk in community. I love that if you go read Acts chapter 9, right after he, he gets thrown off the horse and, and Jesus talks to him and all that stuff, the, next, the whole chapter is all about him being in community. We see this guy named Ananias, and Ananias comes and prays over him. He's the first Christian to interact with him in a loving way. He prays over him, and the Bible says that like scales uh, uh, fell from his eyes, like he finally sees. So this guy prays over him. Then at that point, the, the believers in Damascus, which is where he was going to arrest these very people, surely they knew he was coming to arrest them. Now they take him in and they care for him. And they not only give him opportunities, he begins preaching about Jesus very shortly after this. So they start giving him opportunities. But then when the Jewish leaders found out Paul has now changed sides, they start to want to kill him. So the, the Christian leaders in Damascus help him to escape. Now he goes out to Jerusalem and this guy named Barnabas shows up and Barnabas uh, helps him to um, uh, bring some clout to the other disciples because they're all like, wait a second, we know you. You were at Stephen's murder, like you were okay with killing Stephen and now you want to be a part of us? So Barnabas steps in and is like, hey guys, he's okay. He's a part of us and the believers take him in there and then, then he's also being persecuted there and, and there, there's threats on his life. So the believers at that time, they take him away. They rescue him as well. So the believers, all, this whole way, Paul's living in community with them. And he's realizing some powerful things about community. Like when you're walking in community, there's people there to pray for you. There's people there to support you, to cry and celebrate with you, to build you up, to encourage you, to give you opportunities. Like there's all these things that when you're walking in community with people, and I'm not just talking about like you have a friend or two, but I mean that you're actively engaging you're intentionally engaging in relationships with people to grow in your faith, to be real about where you're at. Can you imagine Paul going to these Christians and going, everything that I knew, man, I'm questioning it all. That must've been a humbling experience for a guy of that caliber to tell the other, other people like, man, my faith is shaky right now, but he had to do it. Because one, one of the steps that you have to take if you want to walk through a healthy reconstruction is you've got to be in community. Paul understood the importance of community so much that he began to write about it. And when you look at it throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament, you see him saying things like, and you've got to love one another. You've got to encourage one another. You have to pray for one another. You've got to forgive one another. Like the community is so important because it allows you to have a safe place to be able to, to, to share your issues and your concerns and what you're wrestling with and your sins and all of that and for people to come around you and not judge you, but say, man, we love you. We're gonna walk with you in this season. Whatever this, however long it's gonna last, wherever you end up, we're gonna walk with you in the midst of this. You've gotta walk in community. When you're in a place of questioning your own faith, the last place that Satan wants you to be is in community. Like you have a real enemy to your soul and his name is Satan. And the last place he wants you to be 
when you're beginning to question things about God is in community with other believers. So he's gonna do everything he can to get you isolated. He's gonna do everything he can to get you alone because when he can get you alone, he can get you to a place where you begin to believe lies and to question all kinds of things. I was talking with a, a gentleman a, a, a little while back and we were talking about this and, and just kind of deconstruction and, and wrestling with his faith and all of that. And, and, and I said, um, hey, so like you've been a, a part of a couple of faith communities. So what did you do to like find help in the midst of those faith communities? Like how did you reach out? How did you walk in community? Well, I didn't. Bro, that's a lonely place to be. That's a real lonely place to be. To be in a place where you're questioning your faith, especially if you grew up with faith. Like I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up with faith. And so, you know, for, for me, it wasn't as hard to begin questioning some of the beliefs that were taught to me eventually. But for some of you, you grew up in the faith. And if you're starting to question those things now, you feel like you're kind of losing a part of yourself. And to do it by yourself, to do it alone, or to only do it with people who are also in the same place questioning everything, it's a real dark place. You gotta walk in community. It's why we talk about community so much. In fact, today we have a community group fair. You saw the tents as you came in and some of you are like, oh, this again. And others of you are like, oh, what's, what's happening here? Men's, women's, what's all this? That, this is our community group. That's what every, if we do this two or three times a year where we go, hey, we have community groups. We have ways for you to get connected. Because God does not want you doing your life by yourself, alone. Uh, it's not even good just to have one or two friends out there. Like you have to intentionally engage relationships with other people. And so we try to make it super easy for you to do that. So we have regular community groups, which are like anywhere between like three to 20 people that meet together. And uh, they can be couples groups. They can be young adult groups. So men's groups, women's groups. So kind of the wide variety uh, of groups for you to join. So if you're like, man, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about my marriage with my wife in the room at a marriage group. That's fine. Then go to a men's group or go to a women's group or something else. We have classes. We have a marriage class that, that's happening. We have other classes that we do, Financial Peace University, and uh, Pastor Aaron usually does a class on worship. And so we teach these classes. It's just kind of give you a, an idea. They're a little bit shorter in stint, so they're usually like four to six weeks, something like that. And then you get to meet some people, try to build some community, and you get to learn about a specific topic. We have uh, some intensives, like things that you get to go out and do. We have uh, women's nights. We have men's breakfasts. We have a men's breakfast coming up next Saturday or this coming Saturday. Uh, so if you're like, man, I'm not ready to join a, a group because that kind of feels intimidating, then come to a women's night or come to a men's breakfast or go to a, on a men's hike or a women's retreat or something like that. Just do something. Like just do something to engage community. I promise you it will be worth it. Now, if you join a group, if you get in your group and you're like, Yo, these people are all super weird. Like super weird. One, it might be you. Um, but two, it might be the group, okay? And that's okay. They come tell us, like, yo, that's just not a fit for me. That's fine. We'll help you find another one, okay? But don't just try something and then be like, no, oh, that didn't work after two times. You've got to fight for it. The enemy is going to fight against it. He's going to do everything he can to prevent you from joining community. Everything he can. So today we're providing opportunity. Stick around. We're going to have some great coffee and your kids will be like balloon animal making people, whatever they're called and like whatever, like there'll be stuff going on. So you can just focus on you finding community. If that's something you don't currently have, you've got to walk in community. If you're going to take these next steps in reconstruction, the second step that Paul took that we all have to take is you've got to confront your fears. You got to confront your fears. 
I mean, imagine Paul. Imagine Paul and this experience happening and he's beginning to question everything. He's questioning everything about his belief system and his, his history and his upbringing and all of that, things that he has taught other people and all of that. Imagine what fears, like what beliefs do I have to change now? What relationships will I lose? What friends am I gonna lose? Most scholars would say at this point, Paul was married. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. To be a part of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. So he had to have been married at this point. But then later in his writings, we see he's no longer married. Most scholars say that at this point, his wife left him. She was, she was so concerned and, 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 and confused about like the transformation that's happening in her husband. Like, I can't do this. She probably came from a very good Jewish family that, man, that wasn't acceptable to be a part of a, 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 a marriage that, that you weren't seeing eye to eye on the Jewish faith and, and the beliefs about God and all of that. And so most scholars say she left him. I mean, imagine the fear that he had. What else did he lose? His standing in the community, the power, the prestige. I mean, he was this rising star in the Jewish community. What else did he lose? Can only imagine the fears he must have been wrestling with as he was thinking, man, everything's gonna change. Everything's gonna change. As I've walked numerous people, and I wanna say numerous, I've probably had around 2,000 conversations with individuals over the last 20 years of being in ministry that are walking through some type of deconstruction process. And as I've walked through numerous times this conversation about you know, beliefs and wrestling with different things, there have been a lot, not all, there have been a lot of people who have not wanted to wrestle in a healthy way to really reconstruct their faith because they were fearful of what was gonna change. What has to change about my beliefs? What has to change about my friend group? My relationships with others? Like if I start to believe this about the Bible, then what changes around me? And here's the deal, if you walk through a healthy reconstruction, if you truly walk through a healthy reconstruction, we'd love to help you with that process if you're there. If you walk through that, then things will change because you'll take scripture over society. Like society will say one thing, it'll tell you to believe one thing, and then scripture's like, uh, that says something different though. And you'll have, to, you'll have to decide which way will you go. And you'll take faith over your background. You'll take true faith in Christ over what you were raised in or what you were taught growing up. And some of those things might be the same. Some might be very, very different. You'll take Jesus over the Western or the American church. There's a lot of things in the American church that are good, that are positive. We're in the American church right now. And then there's some things in the American church that are not of Jesus. Things that we've had to fight for and against over the last, especially couple of years. That if you look at what Jesus teaches and you look at what some other people teach, even pastor friends of mine, you're like, that's not Christ. That's not God's word. So what has to change? There will be things that change. And when things change, people become fearful. They become concerned about how my life's gonna be different, how my relationships are gonna be different. But I promise you, if you walk through a healthy deconstruction, deconstruction process and a reconstruction process, and God will be with you every moment and you'll come out on the other side so much healthier. Your relationships will be so much healthier. Your viewpoint on everything will be so much healthier. You'll wrestle, it'll be hard, but I promise you, you'll come to a healthy place. For me, I've just had to, I've had to like solidify this mindset that it's better for me to find clarity than solidarity. It's better for me to find clarity than solidarity, meaning it's better for me to know what God says to me. 
to be absolutely sure about what God says about these things than it is for me to worry about what other people think about me or what other people say about me or what my friend groups say or what peers in my life say. It's better for me to have clarity about who Jesus is and what God's word says about me and about this world and about Christ and my purpose and all of that than for me to worry about everybody else. My prayer is that that would be true for you. There are fears, for sure. Things will change, for sure. But I promise you, as you get clarity in who Christ is, you'll find greater peace, joy, all of that. So first step, you gotta walk in community. Second step, you gotta confront your fears. Third step is you gotta build on the foundations. You gotta build on the foundations. I, I, have you ever played this game called Kerplunk? You ever, you ever played that before where you take out these sticks and the balls drop and you're like, which stick is gonna make them all drop and whatever. It's kind of what we do with our faith. You know, the balls, they're, uh, they represent your life. They represent joy. They represent peace. They represent your, the, the knowledge that you wanna have and values that you wanna have and all of that. They represent that. And then the sticks represent kind of our, our faith beliefs. And as you start to, to deconstruct, you, you think about a topic. Usually it starts in um, uh, maybe a not so deep area and definitely not one of the foundations. It usually starts in, in a little bit more simple area like, okay, what do I believe about the American church? I'm gonna wrestle with this. I'm gonna figure out, okay, this is what I've been taught the American church is all about. What does scripture say about what I've been taught? And some good, maybe some not good. What, so I'm gonna wrestle with that. Okay, what do I believe about worship services? I mean, some people think, man, you can't, you should not have drums. Like that's a sign of the devil, you know? Some of y'all raised that way. You know, you're laughing because you're like, yeah, that was my upbringing, you know? Others are like, man, you don't have enough smoke in here and enough haze and it's not loud enough. Trust me, we hear it all. And so there's that, or, you know, maybe you're wrestling with uh, um, uh, uh, Christian leadership. Maybe you've been hurt by a leader and you're like, I don't know if I can trust them again. Like you're here and you're questioning me. Like you project onto me something that's been done to you. And so you begin to wrestle with, man, Christian leaders, should I trust them? Are they trustworthy and all of that? And, uh, and then you've got some, some other issues. You've got issues that, that we don't wanna talk about, right? I mean, like we don't wanna talk about Bruno. There's other issues we don't wanna talk about. I don't even know what that means, but some of y'all do because you got kids. There's issues we don't wanna talk about. They're like touchy subjects. Right? For some of us, that might be something simple like creation. What, was the world really created in six days or are we billions of years old? Right? Some of you are like, that's not that touchy, but how about sexuality? Let's talk about what, what does sexuality look like? And how does that show up in our society? And what does scripture say about that? Or, and you can name any other hot button issue and talk about it. Okay, we're going to wrestle with it. Okay, what does society say? What do I believe? What have I been taught to believe? And then what does scripture say about this thing? And then inevitably, when you start questioning those things, for some of us, we start going to the foundations. And we say, okay, well, I mean, God's word, can I really trust it? I mean, isn't it this like old thing that, I mean, there's like a lot of, a lot of issues with it, right? I mean, isn't there like scripture that seems to contradict itself and all of that, like, I mean, surely it's not infallible. Surely it's not God's word. And then, I mean, what about Jesus? I mean, what do I really believe about him? Do I really believe that he was perfect? He was the son of God. 
Do I really believe that like he loves me and he cares about me? And then, I mean, let's talk about this, this ghost thing, this, what some people call it spirit because it feels easier to call it spirit, but some people call it Holy Ghost. And you're like, oh, that's, is it like Casper? Is it like super friendly? Like, is it white? Is it like, is it a sheet over it? Like what's going on? Right, and we could deal with these, these foundational issues. I mean, salvation, is Jesus really the only way? I mean, surely if God is good and he's loving and all of that, then everybody gets into heaven. Like salvation can't only be through Christ and Christ alone. So you have these foundations. And when you start removing some of the foundations, man, the whole life can come tumbling down. You feel like your whole world is crashed. And I just wanna tell you, if that's where you are, please don't be discouraged. I know it can feel really discouraging. And it feels like maybe you've lost something. I want you to know our God still sees you. And if you choose to wrestle with it in a healthy way, you will figure out the foundations. I remember I had a conversation with a guy one time and he said, hey, Ernest, I, he, I grew up in the church and I just don't know if, uh, if I believe this whole Jesus thing. And I, you know, I didn't know what, his, what he was expecting for me to say. And I was like, all right, cool. So what are you gonna do about it? He goes, well, I'm, I'm gonna take at least a year and I'm gonna go study other religions. I said, that's awesome. He was like, wait, what? Aren't you a pastor? I was like, hey man, here's just what I believe. Scripture says that if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be answered to you, open to you. If you ask, if you truly like wrestle with God, you're gonna find him. He's not a God that's like, ha, let me play hide and go seek from these people. Let's see how this works. He's not doing that. He said, come seek after me. Come find me. I'm gonna open the door if you'll just knock. If you truly seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So I told him that. I was like, this is what scripture says. He was like, okay, thanks. He's kind of confused that a pastor would be okay doing that. And so about a year later, I saw him. Same exact ice cream shop. We like ice cream. I said, hey, bro, how you doing? He's like, man, I'm so in love with Jesus. I was like, what? Like, I, you know, I'll be honest. When I said, like, that's cool. I'm like, oh, Lord, help him. Like, <laughs> you know, so I see him again. I'm like, are you Zoroastrian? Are you Buddhist? Like, what, what, you know, and he's like, man, I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm like, oh, okay, hold on. Help me understand this process. He said, man, you told me to do that. So I just did. And he told me all, I and mean, he studied like 26 different religions in depth. He went around the world and visited these different religions. He spent all of his money. He was a young guy, he was like 21. He spent everything he had to actually seek God. And now he's telling me, I gave my life to Christ and I love Christ more than anything. It's because he sought him with everything. He was willing to knock. And like a persistent widow that Jesus talks about, not give up. You're gonna answer me, God. You're gonna open this door. And so if you're willing, if you walk through the process, God's not gonna give up on you. Don't give up on him. And as a church, man, we wanna walk you through it. Like we have all kinds of resources and stuff to help you go, okay, what does the Bible actually say about this? And is the Bible something that's trustworthy? Like when I came to Christ and somebody said like, this is God's word, I was like, that's, that's a book. It can't be God's word, that's crazy. And then I began doing research and I began comparing it to other historical documents and seeing if it was trustworthy or not and using some of the same metrics they use to to determine if a document is trustworthy 
And the Bible is the most trustworthy document we have. And I can walk you through that. Any of our pastors can walk you through that. We've got resources to help walk you through that. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Is Je- was Jesus real? I mean, is he, is he really fully God and fully man? Is he really, like, did he really live a sinless life? We can explore that. We can explore that and you'll discover truth. Okay, these aren't things that you're like, I just don't know. There are parts of it that take faith. Just like there are parts of everything that take faith for you to not believe and to believe in something else. But there's way more evidence for than against. We can walk you through that. We want this to be a safe place for you to walk through some of these challenging things. Okay, what, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity. Like, how am I supposed to believe that there's this ghost and he lives inside of me? And how does that work? And does he actually empower me? Does he give me wisdom? Does he bring me comfort? Like all the things that scriptures say, like, how does he do those things? If you're wrestling with that, we're gonna walk you through it. Don't do it alone. If you do it alone, you probably won't end up in a positive place. Walk in community, confront your fears, and be willing to build on the foundations. What does God say about salvation? What does he say about humanity? I mean, are we really created in the image of God? Like really? I mean, that seems crazy. Because I look at some humans and I'm like, you're not created in God's image. I look at myself sometimes and think, "Ah, can God love you? And if I'm creating the image of God, then shouldn't I have like my own power to, to save myself? Like you're saying I can't do anything deserving of God's love or deserving of salvation that like God already loves me? That seems crazy. But as you wrestle through these things, and again, we have so many resources we can give you. We'll walk with you. Any of our pastors would love to meet with you over coffee or just hang out over a meal or whatever, come over to your house or whatever it may be, just to hang and to talk through some of these things so that you can, you can get some perspective and some truth and some resources and all of that so you can begin to build your life back on these foundational pieces. And when you build your life on these foundational pieces, there will be things in your old life that will still go through the cracks because they need to. There won't be as many things in your life that you had before, but you'll have a foundation. It will lead you to a place of health. It will lead you to a place where you're confident in your faith so that no matter what happens, no matter the challenges, no matter the hardships, no matter the people, no matter the wrestling points or anything like that, like if you think that I never have doubts about certain things and then you don't think I'm a human, it comes with a territory of being created. If we knew everything, then we're the creator. Like if I could fully understand God, then I'm more powerful than him. But I can't. And I have to like, I have to like hold that tension in my hand and be okay with it. That like, he's a God I can't understand fully. The beauty of that is that I keep seeking, I keep discovering, I keep getting to know him. The challenge of that is I'll never fully know on the side of glory. I'll never fully be at a place where I'm like, 
yes, I know everything there is to know about God. Even on the other side of glory, even in heaven, I'm like, pretty sure God's going to be like, yeah, you don't even know that. We just wrestle with these things. And when we can't find the answers, we many times just give up. Don't give up. Reconstruction will lead to health. It's absolutely necessary for your process. It will lead to a place where you love God more. It can lead to a place where you love Scripture more. It can lead to a place where you love others more. You have to walk through the process. You got to be in community. You got to fight for it. You got to engage it. You got to confront your fears. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be issues. There's going to be things that will change. You got to confront those fears if you have them. And you got to be willing to build on what's foundational. Once you get the foundation, then you can start adding other things. Here's what I believe about the American church. Here's what I believe about what, you know, creation. Here's what I believe about sexuality. Here's what, you can start adding things back in. But the foundation's the key. The foundation's the key. We wanna help you with it. Don't walk alone. Choose to engage community, to confront your fear, and to build on the very foundation that God's created for us so that we can find health and freedom and faith that is greater than any faith that maybe we've lived up to this point. God will show up. And then we'll be able to not just sing songs like we sang earlier, we'll believe it. We'll proclaim it daily that our God is this way because we've seen it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. I thank you so much, God, for each person in this place and those who are watching online. God, I thank you for those that, God, we're right now in the wrestling process. I thank you, Father, that you see us, you know us by name, you know exactly what we're dealing with, what we're wrestling through right now. And I thank you, Father, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Father, if we're willing, if we're willing to truly seek, if we're willing to put in the effort to do all we can to find you, you promise, you promise, you promise that if we seek, we will find that if we knock, the door will be open. And so, Father, I pray for those right now who are seeking, who are knocking. Make yourself so evident in their lives. Make yourself so evident in their lives, God. And I pray for those of us who are longing for you more, who need you to show up more in a different way. But God, maybe right now we're just not putting in the work. We can just honestly say, you know what, I'm not. I'm not seeking God with everything. I may seek, I may put more energy into my kids or to my job or to other places. I don't put that much energy into my faith. God, give us a hunger and a thirst for you. Transform us, God, that we would long for you. We would long to know you and be secure in you, God. And then may we do everything possible to discover who you are, to build on those foundations. God, help us to walk in community. Help us to confront those fears, knowing that, God, you don't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, self-control. And God, help us to, God, build on the foundations that you've created. Not everything is foundational, so help us to choose wisely what your word says is foundation to our faith. And God, from there, we can start building other things back in. Father, we thank you. We give you glory in Jesus' name.